Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the first book of Joshua, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate, it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will always be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is David Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here at Knox. I'm so glad to be with all of you this morning. Before we hear our second reading from the book of Joshua, let's pray. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. We ask, Lord God, that you send us your Holy Spirit, that as we hear the reading for today, we would hear your word. Help us to hear it, to understand it, to take its message into our hearts, and to live it out in our lives. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. This reading is from Joshua chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you, as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua then said to the Israelites, draw near and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that among you is the living God, who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is going to pass before you into the Jordan. So now select 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. When the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, 
The waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. And the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the Ark had come to Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam the city that is beside Zarathon, while those flowing toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. The word of the Lord. As many of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Long Story Short. It's taking us on a tour through the Bible from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. And we've spent most of our time so far on the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Those books are often called the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books. And their great theme is God's creation of a people. God's creation of a people. God starts by making a covenant with Abraham. Then he's faithful to that covenant by liberating the Hebrews from slavery. And then God instructs them in the distinctive way he wants them to live so that their life as a people will reflect His holiness. The creation of a people. That's what the first five books are about. The book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. And it marks a turning point, a transition in the Bible. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. And Joshua is chosen as the new leader of the Hebrews. And as we heard in the opening chapters of Joshua, we see Israel entering into the promised land. Their waiting is over, and Joshua tells us about their arrival. The rest of the Old Testament, after Joshua, is about what happens in the promised land. The establishment of a kingdom, its rise, its fall, and its rebirth. So the book of Joshua is a book of turning points. It's a book of transition. It's like the swinging kitchen door between two sections of the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this, but transitions sometimes make people nervous. Have you ever experienced that? Your first day at a new job or at a new school, a bride or groom on their wedding day, Bears fans waiting to see who they'll draft in the NFL draft. Are they going to trade down? Are they going to get one person or two people? What's it going to be? Members of Knox Presbyterian Church anxiously waiting for an update from the pastor nominating committee, right? You can relate to these things. In the case of the people of Israel, there are at least three reasons why they would be nervous. For one thing, the Hebrews are about to cross the Jordan River, and the Jordan River was big and fast. It starts out way up north at about 9,000 feet above sea level, and it winds up Uh, at about 2,000 feet below sea level when it pours into the Dead Sea. 
And so for all the length of the Jordan River, it's going downhill at a pretty precipitous speed, and that makes it go fast. This isn't just a little babbling brook they're stepping into that you could bound over with one leap. This is a big river that might wash them away. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the Bible tells us when they sent spies into the promised land, they came back and reported that the inhabitants, they were huge, big guys, giants, people you couldn't easily take in a fight. And so Israel was intimidated and afraid. And for a third thing, they had a new and untested leader, Joshua. The passing of the torch from one generation to another is always a tricky, delicate thing, all the more so when you're following up on Moses, who, you know, did pretty well as a leader. All Israel, waiting at the banks of the Red Sea, would have been waiting with bated breath to see what was about to happen. Would they at last enter into the land God had promised them? Would God be with them? as they faced these new challenges. That's why God's words to Joshua at the start of this passage are so striking. This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. God reassures Joshua and all the people that his love and care for them have not changed. And he urges them to step forward in faith. And when they do, when they empty the river, a miracle happens. The raging river stops and they enter the promised land on dry ground. The Bible actually says that upstream, the Jordan River stood up in a heap, like a big pile of water, and downstream, the river became totally dry because it was cut off from its headwaters. If that sounds a little bit like the book of Exodus and Moses parting the Red Sea, you're exactly right. It's an intentional callback. Um, Just as God freed the people from slavery by a powerful miracle, so here he helps them enter into the land he's promised through a powerful miracle. God's message to Joshua in these passages is simple. I will be with you. I will be with you. Do not be afraid. It's a message we've heard before. In the book of Deuteronomy, Joshua is told, be strong and bold. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And in the passage from Joshua 1 that Cameron and Miles read for us a moment ago, we read this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When God says those words to Joshua, we need to hear them as not just an individual word spoken to him, but as a word spoken to his whole covenant people, all Israel reflecting the goodness and faithfulness of God we've seen throughout this covenant story. From Abraham to Isaac, from Joseph to Moses, God says again and again, do not be afraid, I will be with you. Do not be afraid, I will be with you. 
If you wanted to summarize the message of the whole Bible, you could probably do a lot worse than those simple words. They're not only found in the New Testament, they are liberally scattered throughout the New Testament as well. From Moses to Mary, from Abraham to the apostles, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, again and again, God says, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. And if we listen in faith, we will hear God speaking those words to us as well. These aren't just words God says to someone long ago and far away. These are his words to us today as well. God is with us. That doesn't mean we won't experience challenges or difficulties, individually or as a church. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It means that you and I won't face them alone any more than Moses or Joshua or Jesus or the disciples did. God is with us. In the time I have remaining, I want to try and flesh out that idea in two simple ways. I want to say this. The wilderness is real, but so is the promised land. The wilderness is real, but so is the promised land. Now, I know I'm confusing you because that's only two points in this sermon and not three. I just want to say it was a two-point sermon kind of week, so you're just going to have to deal with it. So on one hand, the wilderness is real. The Bible tells us that the wilderness is the place where Israel must wander until they are spiritually ready to claim the land God has promised. The New Testament tells us the wilderness is the place where Jesus goes to be tested by the devil. So in the eyes of scripture, the wilderness is more than just a place. It's more than a geographic location. It's a metaphor for the in-between places the places we go in our hearts and minds when we encounter the trials and difficulties of life. And it's no secret that we're all gonna go through wilderness times in our lives. Job loss, depression, addiction, divorce, illness, you know the list. To many of you, that reality probably sounds pretty obvious, but I think there's a subtle temptation here for the church, especially for an affluent American church like ours, to gloss over the wilderness, to pay it lip service, to give it short shrift, and to instead offer a kind of false optimism that says that everything is fine. American culture is addicted to quick fixes. Have you noticed that? I think our culture is addicted to quick fixes. I first discovered this in spades uh, as I discover so much about our culture when I was using social media. Uh, and I started use, noticing this phrase in social media ads, this one weird trick. Have any of you ever noticed that on social media? So it's always in the context of social media ads, and it's always in the context of ads that aim to improve your health. So maybe there's some selective marketing aimed at me here, I don't know. But the ads always say, oh, this one weird trick will lower your cholesterol. This one weird trick will cure your diabetes. This one weird trick will help you lose weight. 
And it's always, the one weird trick is always a product that you can buy for six monthly installments of $39.99. It will not work, right? You never click on it and it's like, hey, here's the one weird trick. Eat more vegetables and go for a walk every day, right? We know that that will improve our health. That's never the one weird trick. There's this seductive idea that our real problems are, are patient of a quick fix that we can just zoom in, we can zap them and fix them and solve our problems. I think this is a seductive idea in our culture. The most popular preacher in America today is a guy named Joel Osteen, who preaches something called the prosperity gospel. It says that if you're a Christian and if you have faith, you'll wind up being healthy, wealthy, and wise. There's a lot to say about that, but I think it plays into the same idea that we can have a quick fix, that things will work out for us if we're just faithful. The reality, of course, is that real problems, the kind of problems that take us to the wilderness, are rarely solved so quickly. This week, I had the privilege of talking to a member of our congregation about his experiences over the last couple of years. And he shared that uh, he's an older gentleman, and when the pandemic hit, he followed the instructions of doctors and public health officials, and he played it safe. He didn't go out a lot. He didn't go to indoor events with a lot of people. He was pretty on his own for, for most of that time. He was lonely and isolated, but he thought it was best. And then right as the pandemic was ending, last fall, he took a spill, and he broke his leg badly. And months went by and there were doctors and specialists and casts and procedures to try and get him back to normal and none of it worked. So six months after his original accident, he's going in for surgery this weekend to try and fix the problem. And he talked honestly with me about how frustrating it was that he thought for sure the pandemic was over and he would be back to normal life and then he hurt himself and he thought for sure that would be over more quickly than it has been and now he's still hoping he'll get through it. And I think that's an experience many of us have, if we're honest. I thought I would have a new job by now, but I don't. I thought my illness would be cured by now, but it isn't. I thought my grief might have abated by now, but it hasn't. The point of all this isn't to make ourselves feel sad or wallow in our own misery. Quite the opposite. It's to liberate us by acknowledging how honest, honestly, how challenging and persistent our problems can be. Honesty is powerful medicine. Here in the church, we can be honest about those wilderness seasons. We don't have to put on some holy roller facade or sanctified smiley face and pretend that everything is okay we can honestly acknowledge the reality of where we are, of the wilderness, as individuals and as a society. And we can long for something better. So that's the first thing. The wilderness is real. But the message of the Bible is that the promised land is real too. That's the message of the book of Joshua. God is faithful to his covenant. God remembers the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac and to Moses and leads his people into the land he promised with them. They wind up staying a lot longer in the wilderness than they thought. 
but they're not there forever. Here, Christians are called to resist another strong current in our culture, and that's hopelessness. Hopelessness. Um, Back in the 2010s, sociologists started to notice that the average lifespan of the American had actually decreased for a couple years in a row. And they started wondering why that was and poking around and they discovered a dramatic increase in so-called deaths of despair. You might have heard this before, deaths of despair. These are people who pass away due largely to three causes, alcoholism, drug addiction, and suicide. It's a terrible tragedy. And they're not an accident, they're not a statistical fluke, they're the result of very particular factors, economic hardship, social isolation, loss of trust. And of course, all that was before the pandemic started. As Michael shared, now those sorts of needs for love and care are at an all-time high. And in the face of a widespread loss of hope, of widespread despair in our country, I believe Christians are called to offer the humble and powerful gift of hope. Not a facile, superficial hope. Not the superficial hope that says, hey, here's one weird trick that will make you wanna get out of bed in the morning. No, I mean real hope. The hope that says, after the wilderness, there is a promised land. After the cross, there is a resurrection. After death, there is life. The hope that God can give. As many of you know, I spent this past weekend at the Great Banquet Retreat. And I had a fantastic time. If anything, it was better the second time around. I've never had such an amazing time sleeping on an inflatable bed in my entire life. And I wanna encourage you if you haven't been, and I know many of you have, but if you haven't been, please prayerfully consider it for this fall because that's really a life-changing event. One of the most moving parts of the Great Banquet Retreat is just hearing men speak authentically about their wilderness and about the promised land, about the challenges they've encountered in their life and the ways God has redeemed those challenges. I heard incredible stories about God being with people. About men who have put addiction behind them. About men who have come to faith in Jesus after a long time of not believing. Of a dying marriage coming back to life. Of bonds of brotherhood that help sustain people through hard times. Nobody was perfect. There were plenty of rough edges to every story. But nevertheless, the power of God was palpable. The hope God offers was palpable. And I left that weekend feeling hopeful for me, for them, for Knox Presbyterian Church, for the church everywhere. Because the Holy Spirit can bring hope. I could tell I was feeling hopeful because I was in a good mood all day on Monday after I'd gotten back from the retreat. Change doesn't happen for everyone. 
It doesn't happen in the same way. It always happens on God's time. But here's the thing, it does happen. It does happen. God is with us. Every now and then, something happens that gives the church a little picture of the promised land, a little portrait of the kingdom of heaven. A little picture of that day when all of us will cross over the river and rest in God's promises. Brothers and sisters, remember that the wilderness is real, but that the promised land is real too. God is with you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.